We are continuing our series in the book of Mark. We will be finishing the last 10 verses of chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Good morning, Christ community. My name is Craig. I'm one of the elders here. I'm thankful to be able to open God's word with you this morning. Um, this is the last time, well, who knows, I'll probably say it again. These marked journals, they're at the back. If you are a member or a regular attender here, we want you, really, if you're, even if you're just visiting here and you'd like to have one of these, if you'd use it, please go grab one. What these are, again, it's just, uh, you can see my scribbles in here. Uh, it's just the Gospel of Mark, and on the, on the left side you have the text, and so you can mark it up over here, and on the right side you can write on it. It's been a great tool for me. And I hope for you, too, as we're studying through the Gospel of Mark. We're going straight through. And today, um, today we get another view of Jesus as he's bringing his kingdom to earth. I was just thinking as I was coming up here, what a privilege it is for us to worship together. And this isn't necessarily directly addressed to the topic of, of Mark right now, but just wanted to invite you into the joy that the Lord was doing in my own heart as we, I was listening to us sing and Pat was praying and thinking about the elements that are in front of us. This is really, and even this sermon right now, this is all about worshiping God, a God who is so great, so beautiful, so loving that he sent his son for us. And that's what we get in the gospel of Mark. That's why we're, so we've been worshiping. It's not as if the worship starts and then stops and starts and stops. We're worshiping all the way through from beginning to end as, our, as a gathered people of God right now. So we've worshiped by singing and we've worshiped by praying. We, we're going to worship as we hear God's word taught to us. We're going to worship as we break bread and have communion together. We're going we're to worship the Lord even by the way that we interact with one another and have coffee together. So praise the Lord. Let's continue worshiping um, here in Mark. Um, just as we're thinking about Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, I was thinking again about that image of the multifaceted jewel. And I've talked about it several times, but a jewel, if you can envision it, in my hands, you hold it up to the light and you twist it one way and you, the light just catches it at the right angle and it's beautiful. And then you twist it again and there's another shade of beauty, another shade of glory that you didn't see there before. And that is what we get when we come to the Gospel of Mark we get Jesus, Jesus is the jewel, and he's beautiful, and you see him do one thing, and, and it's beautiful and amazing, and it makes you worship, and then he does something else, and it's even more amazing and more beautiful, and it makes you worship. So here we go again. We're going to dive right in. Let me pray, and we'll go right to it. Oh, Father, um, I am so thankful for what we have just sung. 
that in your house there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Lord, speak those words of truth deep into my soul today. I need to believe that. And my brothers and sisters, everyone here, we need to believe that, that we are children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Come and speak to us now by your spirit, through your word. Show us your beauty, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So again, just so you know where where we're at, this is uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. And we're going to look, we're going to see three things. We're going to see Jesus pray. It's nice because it's all peas. It's like a preacher's dream, right? Jesus prays, Jesus preaches, and Jesus purifies. But there's reasons why he does all those things. It's kind of the because or the why behind it that we want to get at. The first one is Jesus prays. And Jesus prays. I'll explain this, but Jesus prays because he knows who he is. Look at verse 35 with me. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So let's set the scene, drawing on a little bit about what Pat talked about last week. Jesus had just performed so many miracles. Uh, He was gathering so much attention that if you just go back two verses before that, verse 33, it says this, the whole city was gathered together at the door, And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Well, that little event where the whole city was gathered at his door, that started at sundown. That's when it started. So we can assume that this had been a late night for Jesus. Now, play that out. So Jesus heals all these people. It's getting later and later and later. After the crowd finally disperses, everyone goes to sleep. Jesus and the disciples go to sleep. Um, Jesus felt something deeply in himself, something that overpowered sleep. He woke up early before everybody else did. He needed to pray. And so he got up. He went out while it was still dark, even though he had had a really late night the night before. And he went out alone into a desolate place. And that, in in Mark and really throughout the Bible, that should always set off little, little buzzers, desolate place, thinking of the wilderness. It's the same word, the wilderness. You think of Moses and Israel and the way that they met God out there. David and the way that he met God in the wilderness and many others throughout the history of Israel. uh, Jesus here is going out to this desolate place and he goes out to pray. He wants to meet with his father. So why does Jesus do that? Well, we know it's significant to Jesus because in doing that, when he actually leaves where he was at and goes out to pray, he's actually stiff-arming all those people that have all those problems, right? He's choosing to go pray over helping people's immediate needs. Now remember, big picture, book of Mark, one of the big reasons that this book was written to is to answer the question, who is Jesus? What is his identity? And Mark actually tells us in the first line of the book, if you want to look at it, verse 1, chapter 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then A little bit after that in chapter 1, during Jesus' baptism, God actually says who Jesus is. He says this in verse 11, You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And so, this is my suggestion. This is what I'm suggesting to you. Is that the impulse that Jesus has to go pray, the drive to get up early, to get out under the cover of dark, to get out there alone and to be with his father is rooted in that relationship. He he wants to pray because he wants to be with his father. It's rooted in his identity. 
And I want to say it again. I'm going to rephrase it, okay? Jesus gets up to pray because he knows who he is. He's the Son of God, beloved by his Father and loving his Father. In a word, he prays because he wants to be with his Father. Okay? And now I have a, I have a hard question for you. And this is a hard question for me, too. Jesus knew who he was. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? We live in a world that is racked with chaos. Chaos without, chaos within. Around us, it feels chaotic because of all kinds of things because of climate change and presidential impeachment and governmental corruption and racial injustice and violence and mass shootings and increased persecution for Christians. And in us, inside of us, it's anxiety and depression and insecurity about the way that we look or insecurity about the way that we do things or insecurity about the way that we act or we're even asking questions about ourselves not only asking what does it mean to be a man, what does it mean to be a woman, we're asking ourselves in this generation, at this time, what does it even mean to be human? That creates chaos, chaos within, chaos without. And in the midst of the chaos, we have to answer that question. Who are you, who am I? Is it even possible? Is it even possible to answer that question, who are you? And the Bible's answer to the question who are you? Can you answer that question? The Bible's answer, Jesus' answer is yes, there is an answer. Already in Mark, we've seen Jesus offer simple fishermen a purpose and an identity far greater than anything they had ever known. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Brothers and sisters, I want you to hear this I, need, I want you to hear me say that I, I'm preaching this to myself too. I need to hear this. Those who follow Jesus can be sure of who they are. Those who follow Jesus can be sure of who they are. So how do you connect with God to know this identity he's bought for you with, with Jesus' blood, to experience this personally? And I suggest, based on this passage, that one primary means is through prayer. Do you remember how Jesus taught us to pray? Do you remember the Lord's Prayer? How does it start? Our Father. Prayer is not only a means of bringing praises, and it, it, it is this for sure. It's a means of bringing praises, requests, confession to God. It is also a reorientation of who God is and who you are before him. What happens then if you know that God is your father and that you are his child? What happens to the person that knows that? You, like Jesus, are sent out. You're sent out to be a blessing in the world. world the world needs people who know who they are and not who we think we are. Just like we sang, I am who you say that I am. The world needs people like that. Not as we define ourselves as God, our creator, God almighty, the maker of heaven and earth defines us. When you live like that, when you know who you are as a child of God, you bring a prophetic type of witness to the world that says, 
I am loved. I have a purpose. It speaks to the world around you. That person is different. You bring an inner ballast, an inner strength, an inner steadiness in the midst of the storms of life that says, I know who you say that I am, and I know whose I am. Prayer is a place of relationship, a a place of remembering who is your Father who loves you. So let me ask you, what's going on in your heart? I could tell you what's going on in my heart this morning. What's going on in your heart? Are you anxious? Are you worried? Are you confused? Are you lonely? Do you feel helpless, angry? Do you feel apathetic? What are you feeling? Brothers and sisters, do not neglect the profound privilege of prayer. As the psalmist says, and this is a perfect picture of what prayer is, seek his presence continually. You're coming into the presence of the holy, holy, holy God that we just sung about. And we pray because in his presence, you will see him more clearly. And when you pray in his presence, you'll see yourself more clearly. And you pray because he will work in you and he will work through you and bring great glory and honor to himself. Brothers and sisters, pray. Pray like he did and you'll know who you are. Jesus prays because he knows who he is. Second point, Jesus preaches. Jesus preaches because he does what he's sent to do. Look at verses 36 and 37. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. Right after that, Jesus makes, lets them know what he's going to do. He's going to preach. But that's really important context. Try to picture this for a moment, uh, that exact moment when Peter finally finds Jesus after looking for him for so long. He probably had a lot of people anxiously waiting for Jesus' help, right? He wakes up. They're outside the door. They want Jesus to, to heal all of his problems. And when Jesus doesn't show up, Peter's probably losing face. He's embarrassed. And so when he gets to Jesus, he says, everyone's looking for you. Now I want you to catch this. When Peter tells Jesus about all the people that are looking for him, what is Peter actually doing? Peter is trying to tell Jesus what to do. He wants Jesus to go back there and heal all those people. Everyone's looking for you, Jesus, actually means get back there and start healing some people. Don't you care about them? And not only Peter, but the people who are gathering around to find Jesus, they want Jesus to do what they want too. They want him to just keep healing them, keep healing them. They want him to come and heal them on their terms. They want him on their terms. Jesus, just do what we tell you to do. Brothers and sisters, you you probably don't need me to tell this to you. You already know. But Jesus knows what we really need. And he knew what those people really needed right then. And he knows what we need today. What you need today right here, right now. He knows what you need. And so that's why he responds this way. Verse 38. Let us go on to the, let us go on to the next towns so that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. The people's physical needs are not unimportant to Jesus. He healed so many people. But what he's saying is that it's the message that is most important. Why? Why is the message most important? 
Well, the message was that the kingdom of God was at hand, and they needed the people, everyone needed to turn from sin and believe. There was something going on around them, the people, there was something going on that they couldn't yet see. And Jesus needed to show them and tell them about what was happening they couldn't yet see. They needed to turn from sin, sin they didn't yet know that they maybe even had. And they needed to turn to a Savior that they didn't even know was there. Jesus knows that physical calamity is going to fall on every person, but that is temporary. There is an eternal punishment for sin, rightly given by God himself. And rescue from that type of suffering is of greatest importance. Which is why when Jesus said, let's go, instead of healing those people, that was the most gracious and loving thing he could have done. When Jesus chose not to go and immediately heal those people and he said, let's go, let's go spread the message, that was the most gracious and loving thing he could have done. Because he delivered to them what was of greatest value and greatest worth, which is the gospel. Now that's a hard word. That's a hard word in some ways because, and I, and I feel this tendency in myself, it's so easy for us to shape Jesus to be how we want him to be. We want him to do what we want him to do. Christ community, Jesus sees what you can't. He sees what we cannot see. He knows what you need far better than you do because he knows you better than you even know yourself. I heard a pastor once say, um, say this, God is doing a million things in our lives all at once. And we see, we are aware of two or three. I was listening to Tim Keller this week. And he was talking about how a Jesus we create, a Jesus that's on our own terms, we fashion him how we want. It's a, project, it's a projection of our own desires. He, that type of Jesus won't contradict you. He won't challenge you. He also won't help you, and he won't change you. If you're going to have a Jesus that really helps you and changes you, it has to be a Jesus with his own reality, one that you didn't create. If you're going to have a Jesus that really meets you in your need, he has to do what he was sent to do. Does that make sense to you? Think about it this way. Jesus wouldn't let Peter or the crowd call the shots and that is not Jesus being cold or cruel or callous. That's actually love because he came to fulfill a purpose, to preach the kingdom and then to establish it by giving his life. Let me share a quote uh, from someone who gets this, who understands what I'm talking about. Someone who suffered all of her life and knows that physical suffering is terrible, but it, it pales in comparison to the glorious message of the gospel. Many of you know her, it's Johnny Erickson Tata. She experienced a horrible injury when she was 18 years old and became a quadriplegic. Um, she was completely paralyzed from the shoulders down. She experienced at that time depression, doubt, anger, but the message of the gospel cut to her heart and she was transformed. And so I just want you to hear her perspective. This is her speaking, she said this, I hope in some way I can take my wheelchair to heaven, 
With my new glorified body, I will stand up on resurrected legs and I will be next to the Lord Jesus. And I will feel those nail prints in his hand and I, in his hands and I will say, thank you, Jesus. He will know I mean it because he will recognize me from the inner sanctum of sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. He will see that I was one who identified with him in the sharing, in, in the sharing of his sufferings, so my gratitude will not be hollow. And then I will say, Lord Jesus, do you see that wheelchair over there? Well, you were right. When you put me in it, it was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. I do not think I would, have, I would ever have known the glory of your grace were it not for the weakness of that wheelchair. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. Now, if you like, you can send that thing off to hell. Isn't that awesome? You were right, Jesus. When you put me in it, it was a lot of trouble, but it made me lean harder on you. Johnny is taking Jesus as he is. He knows. She trusts that he knows what's best. He knows what we need. And the message of the gospel is what we all need the most, what the world needs the most. Peter wanted Jesus to do something for him, and he didn't. That's hard. And I'm sure it confused and hurt Peter in that moment. And I'm sure Johnny, Johnny Erickson Tata, would be the first to tell you how hard and at times confusing her life has been. I am not saying to suppress confusion, doubt, and pain when things don't go your way. What I am saying, and I am calling you to, in the name of Jesus, to reorient yourself, to reorient myself in faith to the one who knows all things, who loves you and gave himself for you, securing your eternal good. And you know what happens when you embrace that reality? When you reorient yourself by faith to him, you start to be the means God uses to relieve both eternal suffering and temporal earthly suffering. Oftentimes, a church that gets this, that gets the gospel, that Jesus knows that he is king and we submit to him, the church that gets that does both better. They get the eternal peace well, and they get the relieving of suffering well. The church that pre preaches the gospel sees people's lives transformed, and people with transformed lives go out and do great deeds for the sake of Christ. Do you get what I'm saying here? Are you with me? The church that says we care most about your soul goes to great lengths to care for the body that houses the soul. Yes. Jesus knows who he is. Jesus does what he's sent to do. And then finally, Jesus purifies to show that the kingdom has come. In every narrative, in every narrative, there's a climax, a point after which nothing is the same, and we've come to that point in the story. Jesus, in verse 39, goes from synagogue to synagogue. You can look at it there. And here's, he's there primarily to preach, right? That's why he's going out. That's the most important part. And as he announces the kingdom, he shows them that the king, what the kingdom of God is going to be like. That's what's happening all throughout the first chapter of, of Mark. He's preaching the kingdom, but he's also showing them, giving them a little taste of what the kingdom's going to be like. Demons, 
Nope, not in my kingdom. Sickness? Nope, not in my kingdom. And then suddenly, a man with leprosy comes up to him. This is new. Let's get some context about leprosy. Leprosy is a skin disease. But what we consider leprosy today wasn't necessarily what they considered it then. Leprosy at that time could have been any number of skin diseases. They kind of all lumped together under the category of leprosy. But the infection or disease was horrible, unsightly, and it probably didn't smell or look very good at all. But that definitely wasn't the worst part. As one commentator said, leprosy is not just an illness. Leprosy is a sentence, a judgment. This goes all the way back to the Levitical law on purity and cleanliness. Anyone who has leprosy was declared not only physically unclean, but spiritually unclean. And here's the passage that details what happens from Leviticus chapter 13. This is verses um, 45 and 46. It'll be up here on the screens. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. They're required to look bad. They're required to shout that they're unclean. They're required to live alone, to keep everybody away. What did the leper lose? The leper lost their name, their occupation, their habits, their family, their fellowship, their worshiping community. Yes, it was meant to protect the community, but it was utterly devastating. So now take that, take that, what we just talked about with, with a leper, and put that into this context. This leprous man should not have done that. He should not be there. This is a scandalous thing that he's done. He is supposed to be far away from everyone, especially a revered teacher like Jesus. I heard one person call this move by the leper a mad dash for life. He didn't know what to do. So he throws himself at Jesus' feet and he's begging him. And look at what the leper says. He said, if you will, you can make me clean. Notice this. He did not say, heal me. He says, clean. He feels the weight of this sickness to his soul. And what Jesus does here is beautiful. It's beautiful in the contrasts. Let me explain what I mean. Jonathan Edwards wrote this profound sermon with a really long title, but it's so true. And I'm going to tell you the title. It's kind of confusing, but I'll explain it. The title of the sermon is, the admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies in Christ. The admirable conjunction, so praiseworthy connection coming together, of diverse, different excellencies in Christ. That's a mouthful. But here's what Edward spends the entire sermon doing. He says Jesus is beautiful in so many ways, and that beauty is magnified in Scripture when his excellencies are held up next to each other. And so one example that he gives is Jesus is a lion-like lamb. You get what I'm saying? Ferocious, powerful, yet willing to give his life for us. This is one of those admirable conjunction of diverse excellency moments. 
two beautiful things about Jesus coming together. Jesus is moved with pity. Do you see that? Moved with pity, moved with compassion. His heart moves with lowly, humble tenderness toward this poor soul. And then he touches the leper. That is a scandal. And he says, I will be clean. Compassionate love and pity then meets complete authority and power. Not a power that blasts the leper back as if get away from me, but a power to totally cleanse him. That is the true climax. Jesus could have healed him with a word. He could have just thought it and it could have happened, but he touches him. That's the moment. That should have instantly made Jesus unclean, physically and spiritually unclean, but actually the reverse happens. That man is made clean. Many of you know that we were missionaries in China for a long time. While we were there, we had a really good friend. Her name was Sister Zhao. And if you've been around me, I've talked about her a million times. There's just another story about her. She's awesome. I hope you get to meet her one day. She used to be a beggar. She was on the streets. She heard the gospel. Her life was transformed. And she eventually started her own ministry to people who were begging on the streets in Beijing. And I remember going with her one cold early morning to, with her as she went and met with the beggars. She would, all get, she would gather them all into a little diner, kind of a little hole-in-the-wall type restaurant early in the morning and feed them breakfast. And while she was in there, she'd preach the gospel to them. And the thing that really caught my eye that morning as I was with her is not only that she was giving them food and really serving them and loving them, but she was, it, but she was preaching the gospel. And as she preached and walked around the room, she couldn't hold still. She was preaching the gospel. She just, every person, touch, 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 touch. And then I asked her afterwards, why? Why are you, why are you touching everybody as you're talking to them? Why are you touching them as you preach the gospel? And she said to me, Craig, always touch the people, especially these type of people, the beggars. It lets them know they're people and you really see them. Jesus saw that leper. He touched that leper. He loved that leper. Some of you today need to know that Jesus isn't afraid to draw near to you. Imagine being that leper, no one ever touching you and finally someone does. Someone dares to draw near. Jesus dares to draw near to you, to us, to me. He knows. He knows how incredibly dirty we are on the inside. And some of us don't feel that today. But you are. You are tainted by sin. And some of us feel that so deeply. Maybe it's something you've done. Maybe it's something that's been done to you. Jesus' touch makes you truly, deeply, completely clean. Jesus reached out to touch the unclean man, and that man was made clean. But afterward, what happened? What happened? The healed man was strongly exhorted by Jesus to go out and make the sacrifices, but he did not. What did he do? He went and did the thing that Jesus told him not to do. He went out and told everybody. And what was the result? Well, he, now cleansed, he was finally in. He could go to all the villages and towns that he couldn't go to. He could talk to all the people that he couldn't talk to and do everything he couldn't do and eat everything he couldn't eat for so long. Now he was in. But Jesus, 
was pushed out. He could no longer go into the villages and towns. Do you see what Jesus did? Jesus went out so that he could go in. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The things that you have seen him do today in this gospel, he has done for us. He knows who he is. And because he knows who he is, we can know who we are, who we are made to be, a child of God. He did what he was sent to do, to preach the gospel and to establish it for all time by giving his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life. He went out so that we would be brought in. And Jesus flung wide the doors to the kingdom. To who? To the unclean. That's me. That's us. And he flung wide the doors to his perfectly clean, perfect, no sin, no suffering, no death kingdom by becoming unclean for us. He bore our sin in his body on the tree. He became a stigma. He became a curse so that we would be accepted and loved forever. Is this not what we want? To know who we are? To be brought into a kingdom that lasts forever? To know this great Savior? Isn't this what we long for? What we know what we were made for? To be brought in? To know that we have a place for all shame, for all the dirtiness that we feel on the inside to be cast out forever and to be fully known and fully loved, this is what we want. Peter was right. He was right when he said, everybody is looking for you, Jesus. We are all looking for Jesus. Only Jesus can do those things. Only Jesus can make you pure. Only Jesus can bring you in. Only Jesus can tell you who you really are. Everyone is looking for Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, like the leper, fall at his feet in desperation with no demands on him. We can trust him and ask him to make you clean. He will. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you will. You will. And so we just lay ourselves at your feet today, Lord. For any of us who do not know you, Lord, today... Lord, work in our hearts, awaken dead hearts, and help them to see that you are the Son of God, worthy to be followed with all of our lives. Lord, help us to see, again, the great work that you have done for us in making us clean. Thank you, Jesus, that you were powerful to do it. You are the Son of God, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.